0: Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is Jonathan, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Aman.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And our special guest for this episode, Jimmy. Hey, fellas. Hey. Um, <clears throat> and just for some reference, this episode is being recorded on August 8th, 2019, Um, The state of the meta is we have the full Night Vault season with Power Unbound and Dreadfang has not technically been released, um, although it has pretty much leaked all across the United States and you might be able to buy it from Barnes & Noble. (laughs) So we we know about it, but it's not currently in any of the uh, events. Um, And then as far as events go, uh, Gen Con took place in this last week. And that's what we're talking about today. And the next grand clash, I think, in the world is in Scotland on the 24th of August. And then the Nova Open is shortly after that. Woo! Um, we are. I know Aman and I are going to that. Are you going to that, Jimmy? I am. Awesome. So dun, we'll dun, all dun. be there. That'll be exciting. <clears throat> all right. Um, our first segment before we um, get into what we've been up to is some community shoutouts. And um, the one that I wanted to mention first was an article by John over at Can You Roll a Crit, and this one actually dropped today, Um, and it is about target priority. Um, And he goes through sort of the basics of target priority, when you would want to target certain fighters, and then he actually breaks down uh, every warband and sort of gives uh, varying from general to pretty detailed information on sort of how to take those warbands apart from a target priority perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was pretty great, so I would definitely recommend that.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic article, especially for a new player, right? Like, if you're just getting into the game and you may not necessarily be familiar with how warbands work, or if you end up playing against a warband you're not too familiar with, um, that article will give you a general idea of on, on how to interact with your opponent, um, what targets you need to prioritize, hence the title, as well as, you know, just general understanding of how some of those warbands might be played. So, I really liked it. Um it's refreshing to get another person's perspective and even as a I guess seasoned player if you will. Um I did enjoy the read thoroughly. Jimmy, what'd you think?
2: Uh I actually didn't um read the article, but Ooh, I'm sure it's great. On the spot, <laughs> got him. <Yeah>. Got him.
1: <laughs> it just came out today, so. Yeah. Don't blame no, we um, won't give you too much trouble there. Um, one article <laughs> that I wanted to mention Uh, was uh, on The End Phase, which is Tony Field, his blog. And he wrote an article. The title escapes me, but the concept is luck versus consistency and how big of a factor does luck play when you're playing in Underworlds. And I thought it was really refreshing because, and we were talking about this in the pre-show, and Jimmy, I know you have some thoughts, but you know a lot of people like to say that a lot of things happen in luck and that Underworld is really controlled just by the outcome of how you draw or what your uh, dice roll. And I would love to get your thoughts on what you think or how you think luck, uh, I guess influences the game.
2: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, I, I heard Tony's a great player, so I'm sure it's a great article too. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've all had moments where you know, we've all complained about luck, uh, either in our head or, you know, verbally during a game, which is, I mean, it's totally natural. I mean, that stuff, um, I don't mind that stuff at all if it happens like sparingly during a game. Uh, we've all been there. Um, but you know, when I hear you know, prolonged discussions or um, kind of repetition of how luck impacts these games and people dwelling on that, you know, I have like uh, two competing thoughts that creep into my head simultaneously. You know, the first is you know, probably more sanguine. I remind myself that luck's a part of the game. Uh, you know, Amanda and I talked after our uh, final round at Gen Con. Um, you know, between uh, a game with good players who are close at skill level, uh, luck probably does have a you know, slightly more pronounced impact uh, on the outcome of the game due to the, the quality of the game elements you know, under each player's control. Uh, but the, you know, other, the other thoughts are less forgiving. Because um, in these games, there are so many decisions that are under your control completely. So I think it's kind of an intellectually lazy argument. To focus on luck, and um, you know, for for some people, you know, maybe kind of a mask for their unwillingness to apply more of a critical eye to, you know, decision making processes. I mean, every player who plays this game who wants to get better, you know, we look at and you know, hopefully look at ourselves first and how we can we can improve. And you know, that, that last part is probably a little harsh, but you know, to be clear, um, I find the vast majority of players, uh, particularly in this community, uh, for underworlds, have a great attitude about it. But uh, I guess I would say to anyone who finds themselves you know, thinking about luck after games all the time, uh, you know, just look at things under your control. I mean, in this game, you can, you know, score objectives without rolling dice, right? Um, You can kind of build a warband that way, you know, or if you really can't, you know, get luck out of your head, you know, you can play another game where luck isn't a factor, like chess, you know, so.
0: I definitely agree. One of the things that I've tried to keep in mind as I, you know, play and try to get more competitive is, yes, luck is a factor, but it's, almost never productive to focus on that because it's absolutely out of your control and most likely you aren't losing purely because of luck like if if i ever get to the point where the only reason that i lose games is because of bad luck then i'm probably going to win like 95 percent of the time um and i'll be pretty happy with that (laughs) because usually it's
1: my own mistakes (laughs) right no i totally agree i think both of you put it very well at the end of the day you know and Jimmy, you kind of alluded to this. You build your deck, you select your warband, you put what cards come in it. And so you can actually modify or affect the amount of dice that you roll at times or take dice away from your opponent, which can statistically improve situations in your advantage. And sure, there is an element of luck involved. You know, for example, you can roll five dice with Potion of Rage and not roll a single crit and your opponent can roll a crit, and that's fine. Like, you know, that's lucky. Your opponent got lucky, or conversely, you got unlucky because you failed to roll a crit with a very high statistical percentage of likelihood. But at the end of the day, if one roll doesn't go your way, then, you know, if you still put the skill or the time and the energy into shoring up the things that you can control, it shouldn't really affect the outcome of your game. I don't think I've ever lost a game where luck was the... Entire deciding factor right like there are some games where you can miss every attack for four activations or your opponent can just roll a crit on every attack dice and, and that's okay like sure but at the end of the day like you could have maybe moved a fighter in a different hex you could have actually waited and drawn a card you could have switched out an objective you know like there's a lot of things that you can do to mitigate that and at the end of the day i do agree with your point jimmy that if two really skilled players who have made the minimal number of mistakes possible prior to the game, which includes uh, warband selection, deck building, board choice, and objective placement, and then in the game make fantastic decisions and adapt well to the opponent's strategy, then absolutely luck becomes a more important and potentially even a more of a deciding factor. But at the end of the day, you know luck can only take you so far. And if you have bad luck one game, that's fine. You can make it up in the other two. And if you have bad luck two games in a row, well, then, you know, the dice just weren't with you that day or, or fate wasn't with you, if you will. But that doesn't mean that you didn't play well, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, totally agree.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely. And I mean, one of the things that I've also sort of kept in mind is like, sometimes you'll be like, wow, if that last attack had just hit, then I would have won the game. And then, it, but if you really think about it, you know, that last attack was probably about a 50 50 chance. And so what you're saying is like, oh, man, if this coin flip had went my way, I would have won. And so I think like by the time you get to the point where your game relies on a coin flip, like you've already messed up. <laughs> like you, you should have been winning way before that. You know, there were, there were most likely choices you could have made way before that would have um, not made your game rely on a coin flip. And, yeah. uh, even when you have like five dice on swords against like one dodge, it's still like a 75% chance. So like, you know, one in four, you're going to fail that.
2: <laughs> so, um, yeah, agreed. You- and, and just as, uh, as human beings, and I certainly fall in this trap all the time, there's definitely a, uh, a recency bias, right. Where, you know, you roll five dice and don't roll a single success and you're like, Oh God, you know, luck, you know, screwed me over this time but you kind of selectively forget the fact that the last three or four times you roll those dice, those five dice, you know, you made a roll a crit and a success or, you know, the attack went through all these things. Right. But you kind of in your head, shuffle that away and be like, okay, well that was supposed to happen. So that, that's, that's not outside, you know, um, that's not unlucky or, or more lucky or what have you. But like the one you remember is the one that's most recent and it's like, ah, that stings. But if you look at the totality of, you know, dice being rolled over the course of, you know, many, many, many games, um, you know, in the end, in, in general, it, it probably evens out, you know, if, like to Amon's point, you know, you may just have, you know, you know a bad round, and and that happens. But, uh, you know, still, it's always good to look back at things you can do better and, and, you know, ways you can avoid mistakes, because, you know, we all make mistakes, even when we play very well. Yeah,
1: well said. I mean, like, there's one game that I, and it was probably my, it was my first competitive event that I traveled to, it was Adepticon. And I remember I, I made a post after I lost in the final about how it came down to a single roll. And I guess I did have a bit of recency bias there, because now that I've looked back and reflected on the game numerous times over, um, you know, you mentioned that you know there are a couple ones that always you remember the most. And this is perhaps one of those games for me, in that yeah, you know, it was a really crappy dice roll. I rolled three dice, opponent rolled one. They crit me out. It happens. But could I have made a different play? Uh, And the answer is probably, yeah, I could have. Um, Do I remember the specifics of the event? Uh, Not entirely, but at the end of the day, you know, maybe I could have used a a gambit or maybe taken another line of action or simply just drawn a card to ensure that my attack could have been more successful in the future or maybe, you know, taken a completely different line of play. So um, that's a bit of, I guess, for self-reflection and even self-admittance of uh, being a culprit of sometimes blaming luck. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, as you said, you reflect and you just mature as a player and as a person and you kind of turn that critical eye inward and just be honest with yourself. And, you know, and and that applies to anything, really. Um, But in this particular example, um, it refers to the game of Underworlds.
2: Yeah, completely agree. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right. Well, I think our I think
0: that's it for community shout outs. And that was a nice little tangent um the <laughs> we love our tangents um the next part is going to be the uh personal recap and just what's going on but what's been going on with the game um why don't we start with you uh jimmy and you can just introduce yourself um for anyone that isn't aware this is the winner of gen con we'll give a spoiler spoiler um, and uh why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: Yeah, so I play out of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I've been playing Underworlds for about, I guess, since last uh, October. Uh, Before that, I uh, played Competitive Malifaux, and uh, before that, you know, uh, like most people, I got into gaming through, you know, stuff like 40K and uh, Wormer Fantasy and played some uh, Lord of the Rings and, um, you know, kind of meandered my way through a bunch of different games. But, uh, yeah, I've arrived here at Underworlds, which I think is a great game, a great uh, competitive game definitely uh, scratches all the itches and uh um yeah in the local scene you know we have got a lot of solid players and um and and yeah and great weather and low cost of living and just a whole bunch of wonderful things in north carolina so i'm just advertising for a state (laughs) i like i'm not from here like no one i know from north carolina like the raleigh area is from north carolina oddly enough we've all transplanted from somewhere in the northeast like i grew up near philly and you know a buddy of mine um is from new york and you're all over the place, but, uh, I've kind of found our way here. So it's a good place to live.
1: It's really funny. You mentioned that I, so I live in Austin, Texas, and it's kind of like the same thing. Everybody here is not from here. Um, so I'm originally from Houston, which I guess is just two and a half hours down the road, but like some of my best friends are from like Minnesota, California, Boston. It's, um, it's really crazy actually how some of the, uh, cities, especially with, I guess, perceived lower cost of living, uh, really attract people from all over. It's really neat yeah yeah <clears throat> have you been up to
0: anything other than gen con jimmy or had any other time oh uh, yeah
2: from like a from a gaming perspective um you know not much just trying to um you know get some games in the week before gen con uh, you know like most people you know you know life pulls you in a bunch of different directions got a you know pregnant wife at home and you know busy at work so uh just trying to get games in can be difficult, so try to get a bunch of TTS games in um, the week before Gen Con to get caught up, and uh, um, and yeah, and, and really um, uh, had a lot of fun at uh, my first uh, Grand Clash. It was a great experience, and you know, um, thanks to uh, Sean and uh, the whole team that put it together, it was great.
0: Great, cool. Um, I guess I'll go next. Um, I did not go to Gen Con.
2: so
1: no.
0: <laughs> I um, actually went. ...down to Houston that week. I seem to always go to Houston when i is on Uh away. And I'll play with his crew. But uh, I got, a, got to play a couple games with uh, one of his local players, Steven. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, I've been playing a lot of Gits because I feel like they're pretty good in the meta recently. Um, although I'm a little bit terrified of uh, Jimmy's Reaver deck. Um, <laughs> and then I've also been testing out streaming some games on Twitch... Um, which is just Twitch slash Wigglefish. And I got to play a couple of games with Max from the Battle for Salvation podcast. And those are on there if you wanted to see those. And I plan to do more of that. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think I have it figured out with the cameras and all that. So uh, we've been doing cam games. And uh, I played a couple of games with my girlfriend playing the new Dreadfane set. Um, kind of learning how that works with all its special rules. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, and I guess if anybody wants to play a can cam game on there, uh, give me a shout. I'm pretty busy, but we'll try to figure out a time. Um, awesome. how about you? Aman?
1: Um, so after Gen Con, I guess I just, I think it's really important to whether you want to lose to kind of take a break and like step away and reassess. Um, so I know like the night of, I was like really motivated. So like, um i don't know if i've mentioned this on the past podcast before but there's like two types of people uh it might be a vince lombardi quote i'm not really sure but there are two types of people in the world those who love to win and hate to lose and i'm like fully in the latter category i dislike losing um it's just been a lot of pressure on me to win since i've been uh probably because of family dynamic or something but um so for me like losing actually motivates me to do better and i think that's how i've been able to like keep a consistent uh, presence in the uh, competitive community. But um so I got really motivated. I remember I was like asking to play games on TTS <laughs> in our little group chat the night before or the night after or the evening of the event actually, excuse me. I think you were uh, still at the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a really early flight, so I decided to just book it to the airport at night and kind of uh was an owl. It was it was a very interesting experience being the only person in a wing of the airport. Um but anyways, tried to get some games in and ended up getting some on Vassal, though I think it's really really slow and um Then afterwards, when I got back and started going back to work and kind of reality set back in, I've been just taking a little break. I've been enjoying it. I've been like theory crafting Dreadfane decks for fun. Um, Yesterday we had a gaming session. uh, You, myself, Michael Carlin, and Tom Bond. So that was fun. And I only really played one game. Mostly it was just watching games or just chit chatting. And I think that's important, you know, to take a step back and, as we mentioned earlier, reassess, but also stay focused. So. Uh, I guess now I'm prepping for Nova. Uh, I've decided, I think I know what I'm going to play at. I'm still not sure you know me. I can change my mind at the last minute. But uh, pretty excited to see what happens. Honestly, man, I'm just waiting for Grave. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about that as well.
0: Cool. Well, um, I think the, the next part is recent events. Um, basically, the only thing that's happened since our previous uh, episode is... Dreadfane has hit in a surprising way, <laughs> mm-hmm. surprising and unexpected way. Um, but we we were both able to order it from Barnes and Noble way too early. Um, were you able to get in on that, Jimmy? No,
2: um, I was not. No.
0: No. See, <clears throat> it's very strange that they were that even happened at all. What are your impressions of the the game so far, Amon? Just the sort of The game itself and then we'll talk about what uh how it sort of affects the larger game
1: yeah yeah sure so um a bit of self-promotion here i guess i never heard anyone but uh i actually did a full review on my blog hexes and warbands and uh, i guess i i got the scoop if you will um i think i mentioned this on the previous podcast you were the one who alerted me that it was available for sale and i know there were some people that were pretty skeptical but I was just like YOLO and I just purchased it and then I got a shipping confirmation the next day, which was wild. And um, I think it's a really good game. I think, so a lot of people are kind of confused on what Dreadfane is and and what it does. Um, So to be very clear, Dreadfane is a standalone version of the current uh, Warhammer Underworld's uh, core game. It is designed to entice new players to, um, Jonathan, we can hear you clicking by the way, so Oh, I'm sorry. No, no worries. It's designed to entice newer players into getting into the game. Uh, I like to call it a gateway game. Um, it's not going to be sold at Games Workshop. It's strictly going to be sold in Barnes & Nobles in the United States and Canada. And I think it's awesome. I think it's super simplified. There's some built-in mechanics that will help streamline the process. For example, objectives are printed onto the boards. Um, there are no two like one board selection per person. It's just one big board with the starting hexes and the objectives printed on there, and then you can flip it. So it kind of takes some of the uh, nuance and some of the uh, forethought out of the game, and so you just place your models down. I think it's really cool that all the cards are faction cards, so it's very clear which card goes with what. It's denoted by a symbol, and you just play. And I really think that if you want to try to create a community or an event in which you want to grow the community, this might be a great way to do so. I think you're going to buy it because of the warbands anyways, and I'd love to get Jimmy and Jonathan's thoughts on those specifically, but it's a great way to show your friend or your family member over a cup of coffee or a drink and just say, hey, look, this is the game I play. This is a really simplified version, but it's a lot of fun. There are some cool rule sets on some of the cards, particularly Later Heroes, Mourn Flight. Some of those banshees have some really cool mechanics. So it's, it's not like dumb. It's, it's fairly intuitive. And there are some decisions that you must make, but uh, it's pretty simple. Like you said, you played it with your girlfriend, and she hasn't really played Underworlds too much. So I really like it, and I think if that's their intention, it's kind of similar to Blitz Bowl, then I think it's wonderful, and I'm looking forward to them doing more.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I really like about it is that the decks that it comes with, they're all faction cards, but they're actually all... like Some of them are amazing, and some of them are like pretty good. So the decks are actually even though they're full faction cards, they're entirely playable. Um, They're probably like mid-level power of what we would consider in the main game, but compared to the decks from the traditional starter sets with all the hold objective one through five and all that, um, it plays way, way better than those. Um, So I know I personally, if I'm not actually using those warbands, I'm going to keep their decks together and then I'm going to use that for any introductory games that I run um and i'm thinking that that'll be way more enjoyable than the the traditional starter decks or me trying to make two decks that are simple to understand for a new player but also like even against each other which i found can be kind of difficult to do um so it kind of does a lot of that for you and then if you really want to simplify it even more Um, It actually comes with, like, a secondary learning game mode where you don't use any of the leaders, so it's just three fighters and two fighters. And then I don't even think you use cards. Um, It has all the rules for that in the like, getting started. So you can, like, it has all of that together in one place, and you don't have to make up rules
1: or anything like that. So um, I think it's great for that. Yeah, it's really cool. And I think you mentioned that, you know, it's a great way to kind of, embrace into or i guess branch into some of the other warbands because you can actually use those warbands in the dreadfane like games and so there's a bit of like deck building involved but if you generally stick to the faction cards then you just throw in two neutral objectives that are fairly decent you can or upgrades no objectives yeah you can actually get your friend that you're trying to entice into the game or whomever you're playing with and give them a taste of some of the other warbands as well and i would recommend maybe a warband with a little bit variance than the one that they're currently playing so that they can kind of get a feel for the game. <clears throat> Don't bring Molog. Don't be that guy. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but I think the Warbands are really cool, and I'm really excited that they're being able to, or they will translate into the core game um, after the release, or uh, after the release date, which is August 31st. And I know, Jimmy, I saw some of your comments on Facebook about you know people were clamoring about the Banshees, and there was a debate on whether or not they were going to be accepted at Nova prior to today, where they announced they will not be accepted at Nova. And you were a little critical of the banshees, even though everyone thinks they're really good. And I wanted to uh, get your reasoning behind that.
2: Yeah. So, um, uh, so actually, first of all, um, speaking about just the design of the cards in, in general, um, uh, I I glanced through the uh, the leaked pictures and stuff on the the, the cards for the warbands and in some of their um faction cards. And one thing I noticed, um, especially for the uh, Lady Mordflight um faction, is that. The objectives, they seem to have two distinct styles of play, like an objective style and an aggro style. And uh, not every current war band has that kind of dynamic where they're like, you know, clearly two or more different play styles from their objectives, which I think is cool. Um, I think a lot of war bands, their objectives are kind of randomly assorted or they um, as far as play style goes, or they have kind of one dominant play style and you kind of have to shoehorn them into another uh, but I think, you know, that extra, I guess, design space of having, you know, the objectives come with like two distinct play styles or, or more is, is pretty cool. So I hope I, you know, we see that for other war bands in uh, season three, but um, as far as, yeah, as far as the lady More flight, I, and I may be wrong. I mean, I haven't uh, played against them, but uh, just kind of thinking about playing, if you were playing with them, right. To charge, if you're uninspired. So the, I guess the big, mechanic everyone's been talking about, uh, which, you know, it, theoretically seems very powerful, is if you you can inspire according to the Night Vault rules um, in the middle of a charge action, so after the move portion of the charge super action, so you can get an inspired attack with uh, one of their models, and their inspired attacks are much better. Um, and, again, they start with range four, which seems really good, but in order to move through a model and then attack, you have to start Two hexes away from them, which is like that's the charge range of an uninspired dwarf. Which, uh, you know, for me, um, you know if I were playing against that warband, like, you know, I, I wouldn't give them any easy charges, right? I mean, I think it's pretty easy to kind of, um, you know, plan out, you know, how far away we are from models, and sure, they can have a bunch of different. To Jonathan's point, he made in one of the posts, like, they have a bunch of faction cards to help that, but that's just a ton of power cards you're using in your hand just a close distance just to inspire like might as well just play inspiration strikes or i don't know they're, they're just um uh, it's good it's good i don't know um you know i don't right now i don't see how if it, the ruling stays that way which i don't believe it will is uh, incredibly powerful because the attacks are also just inspire they're good but they're like three three swords for two or three damage you know it's good it's not um you know it's not malog right <laughs> so uh uh yeah i think it's uh, again, I, I, I just thought it was interesting, the reaction, and then I fully admit that I may be completely wrong about that, but, um uh, and, and Jonathan, we can get together in TTS, you can play those rules, and, you know, I may be proven wrong, but uh, I guess it seemed to me there'd be a lot of counterplay around that, and you'd rely too much on um, poor play from your opponent, or have to have, you know, have, having a lot of specific ploys in your hands to pull it off effectively.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I Honestly, even with that I guess my biggest problem with that ruling is that I think it's pretty clearly incorrect um, because it seems like it was pretty clear that they're not designed to work that way. Um, I don't know if I think that they're unbeatable um, or anything like that. Um, The issue that I... Because I've actually played it both ways, and the interesting thing about them is actually sort of what you were mentioning, how their objectives allow them to be both passive and aggressive. Um, they have cards that want them to hold objectives. They have score immediately's that want them to hold objectives. And so a lot of the time, if you're also taking things like shortcut, like cover ground, um, you actually don't need the other player. You don't have to go fight the other player to start getting glory. So a lot of the time, that'll put the impetus on the other player to come and kill you, um, especially if they're you know, in a more aggressive um matchup i think like we've talked about before um you know like who's the beat down i think a lot of the time um the ghosts would actually win if you just left them alone um at least the way that the uh which i was playing with max at least the way we were playing them that's how it seemed um and then when you go in I'll, if you charge one of them then if you've positioned correctly they can just counter you um and then they will be inspiring and things like that um so i i mean i i think they're good and and i think you can plan around either way like i think if you know that they're going to inspire mid-charge then you absolutely do what you were saying in position and things like that um it just makes it much more difficult and i think it's whereas when they inspire after their attack um it seems a lot more balanced and given the way the rules are in the grid feign book it seems pretty clear that that's how they were intended um so that, that's really my only opinion on it. I've played it both ways, and I don't think it's
1: unbeatable either way, but it's a very, it just feels pretty bad when they inspire it that way, too. Yeah. yeah. I also think people are sleeping on the Condemners. Um, generally, most people have written them off as Steelhearts 2.0, <clears throat> but I really think that, you know, they can be quite an aggressive warband. I really like to have an in faction objective, which is, it's called, it's, it's, I don't know the name, but it's better than Get the Hence in that, You just have to knock a fighter back with an attack that has knockback, but you don't have to knock them physically to hexes. So uh, I think I think they're really cool. I think they have some potential, and I really really think that they're being underrated.
2: Yeah, what uh, what's his name? Bright Bane is a beast. Blight Bane, Uh, yeah, Blight Blight Bane, yeah, whatever you call him, yeah. I I uh,
0: love that his first name is Brodus.
1: He's the bro of bros. (laughs) The bro of bros. Yeah. Like, what? Dude, he has this upgrade where you can... It's one use only, but three hammers cleave four damage. Nuts. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty nuts.
0: Yeah, the only thing I don't like about their knockback stuff is they all hit pretty hard, except for the Tavian. Um, So, like, I had a game where I had Get the hence and the other one in my hand, and I just I was going to one-shot everybody. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is kind of the downside of that versus, like, what armor, but I don't think it's too bad. Um, and then in the rules for Dreadfane itself, if you go on guard, you can't be pushed back, so that kind of counters that, too.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So. You guys think that'll translate to Beastgrave?
0: I can only assume that most of the stuff in this rulebook are going to translate, but then, again, some other things might just be to make this game mode a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, I, I hope so. I think that would really help objective play.
0: Yeah. The interesting thing is it would also it also helps, like, big, beefy characters, um, because if you charge, like, Magor, and, and he was on guard, you're not knocking him back, no matter what. So you have mm-hmm. to either kill him, or take the hit when he smacks you back. Right. Which mm-hmm. obviously isn't great against, like, ranged warbands, but if it, against the melee ones, like, I could actually see like, maybe doing that, and then say, like, come at me, you know? Depending on the situation. Of course, there's, like, a one-shot meta as well, so... Yeah, I'm hoping that they do.
1: Uh, I'm hoping that the meta changes when v drops, which I'm sure it naturally will. But I'm really interested to see if the uh, design team behind Underworlds will go forward with some sort of, I guess, phasing out of season one cards. Um, I would hope that it's just the universals, but I've heard people mention that it could be warbands as well, and I don't think that would happen per se. But I think phasing out some cards or at least maybe updating the, the bar list for Beastgrave would be really cool.
0: Yeah, I think it might depend on what cards are in Beastgrave. Um, I think it's definitely possible to like design it in such a way that you don't need Season 1 anymore. Um, and I think it would be easier on new players as well. So, yeah, that seems good. Um, I think we'll move on to our next section, which is Gen Con, which is why I have gathered you here tonight. Um, and hmm. you guys both went there last weekend, and
1: it was in... Where was it? I actually don't know Indianapolis Indiana. Indianapolis alright it was cool. crazy man there was like 80 over 85,000 people there every waiter waitress slash Lyft Uber driver I spoke to was like yeah pretty much the city just shuts down there's just so many people that come in and it's a great weekend for the city it's the largest convention in the state of Indiana and correct me if I'm wrong but I also think it's the largest board game convention in the country not sure I
0: think so yeah
1: it's wild man lots of cosplay too it's pretty cool great
0: what did you think of the event in general jimmy
2: yeah it was Have you my, been, had uh, you been before i've never been um and and yeah i um i thought it was great too um I, I felt underprepared you know not wearing an outfit like many of the other wonderful colorful people there um but uh uh yeah it was, it was a lot of fun and I, unfortunately um just because of you know scheduling and stuff, I flew in late on Friday, so I didn't have a chance really to catch too much of the uh, convention with the uh, grand clash and all, but um, uh, next year, I'll definitely um, make it a point to um, check everything else out, because it looked like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I've definitely heard good things about it from everyone that attended, so that's great. Um, I guess before we really go, I guess the first thing I want to ask you guys is, because this was the first event with the new Meta and Bar's, li- like, been a restricted list. Um, we had a pretty big restricted list, so it changed a lot. Um, what did you guys expect to see um, at a big event like this um, with the new meta? Like, what were you thinking was going to be good? Um, and then, you know, that, that'll lead into what did you bring to counter that? Jimmy, you want to go first?
2: Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, first of all, I'm very happy that I gw has a bar list for this game and i think um uh, bar list updates really makes uh, my successes event uh possible i believe um so you know again credit to gw for you know, attentive curation of their game i think there's with so many new cards benefiting you know, really um a lot of the newer factions things like magic and other you know, things like that i think um making sure they have a um well thought out bar list to uh, um properly gauge power level is is great you know i actually you know some people it sounds like um may be concerned that if cards come out and they're on their um, restricted list immediately that that could discourage you from from even buying a, a card update that kind of stuff i actually don't mind them having just a, a class of cards that's more powerful empirically more powerful but it's a restricted class of cards and have like a basic class i think um it's fun seeing what more powerful cards do i think you know you still have to operate under you know the same restrictions as everyone else just five of them um and there are cards that are i mean very clearly more powerful than others like upper hand is it's far better than most of the um aggro ploys out there and and is is restricted as it should be but um yeah i think it's a uh, uh, i thought after the recent update that there could be s- uh, some openings for um season one warbands uh, i've been thinking about reavers uh for several months um so there's um Uh, buddy of mine in north carolina jason murray who um has been playing the game longer than me and he was uh um, he was counter meta before i was recently counter meta i think he uh placed uh sixth place last year at nova with the sepulchral guard which is pretty impressive so um he was encouraging me to try new stuff and uh yeah i kind of looked around at things that i you know different war bands in season one i thought could be effective and you know, given a specific play style, and, you know, came across Reavers, and again, I won't deny that the recent bar, uh, certainly helped, uh, my chances in this event.
1: Yeah, you also mentioned that you wanted, you anticipated you might be the only Reavers player there.
2: Yeah, 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 that, that too. I mean, there were, um, it was cool to see some other Season 1 warbands in the group. I think a lot of people were, were trying, uh, different things. Uh, they were a bit counter-meta, which was fun. I had a, a great game with, a uh, Sepulchral Guard in my second round, which uh, we'll talk about in a little bit, um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, uh, it was fun to see some of these other warbands, but yeah, I, I thought that I probably was going to be the only Reavers player because they've been, a lot of people seemingly have been pretty down on them um, in the meta and in conversation in general.
1: Yeah, super valid point. Um, I, I would generally echo your thoughts. I mean, for me, when, when the bar list dropped, it was awesome to see that. A little inconvenient on the timing, but I still felt like it was enough to where you can wrap your head around it and make some, some decisions. And so for me, um, I guess when it came to prepping for the event, I, I wanted to go with the Profiteers, but I felt like they had lost a lot of their touch. And so I started theory crafting and playing some games locally, and then I kind of narrowed it down to four. Stormsires, Curse Cursebreakers, Thorns of the Buyer Queen, Godsworn Hunt, and Thundrix Profiteers. Uh, and the reason I picked those is because I felt like Cursebreakers were really good still. Sure, they lost a lot of their magical bite. But even prior to gaining those tools, they were still one of the best warbands in the game. Um, They are, I guess, played more aggressively. For those of you who are familiar with my Adepticon deck, I played them as such. It was a bit of like a flex aggro. And so I was hoping to maybe try that. And Thorns I picked because I felt like objective play is really good or or stronger now than it was before. There are a bunch of players across the world who have been consistently placing in the top 10, top 5, top 4 in Grand Clash events with Thorns of the Bar Queen or Zarbag's Gits, So I had a feeling that objective play might do really well, and uh, so I even considered playing them. Ultimately, they did not pass, I guess, my internal test because I just didn't have enough reps with them. And then the next one was Godsworn. That was also might have to do with a lot of uh, inspiration from Tom Bond. I was playtesting with him a lot uh, and playtesting some of the I guess theory decks that I came up with, but at the end of the day, uh, I just was like, you know what? They're really swingy. They have a sheer number, or sheer output of damage is incredible. Uh, The number of threats is incredible, but again, you know, they can just fall over like paper, uh, even with pure carnage in the deck. And so then it kind of came down to Profiteers and Curse Breakers, and then I went with the Profiteers because as uh, many people have said in the past, experience, triumphs, everything. So, I just felt comfortable. I had the reps, and I felt like I could make them work. And I was actually keen to make them work after hearing a lot of the criticism in regards to them online. And so, with some of those anticipations in place, I took the profiteers. And uh, I was very like very keen of my weaknesses. Right, like objective warbands that could passively outscore me was something I was concerned with. And then, furthermore, warbands that were faster than me. And so. I kind of wrote off, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, spiteclaw's swarm and Garrick's reavers. Um, it's really funny, like John Reese and I, when we the profilers first came out, we were discussing their strengths and weaknesses, and we actually identified that reavers were a really, really bad matchup, but no one played them, right? So didn't really, I guess, put much thought into like defeating them or, or how they would even be played. I figured if they ran up and tried to attack me, I could shoot them, and same with the godsworn. So I felt comfortable there. And so the deck I designed had a lot of ways in which I can just like melt my enemy's board with just a lot of damage from my warband and through my gambits as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll make sure that the decks are all in the show notes. Um, but one thing I found interesting looking at both of your decks is you both have Shard Gale, um, you both have Encroaching Shadow, and I think Amon also has Toxic Gases and Lethal Ward, so that's a lot of damage and uh, trap. So it, yeah, and trap. So it seems like you, especially with the Shard Gale and Encroaching Shadow um, and Lethal Ward, were probably expecting, like, objective war bands. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And then with Jimmy's, it seems like you were probably anticipating that some of the larger war bands might come back. Um, and that's one of the reasons for Pure Carnage, I would think. Um, so,
2: so he, I mean, yes, uh, yes and also... Um, and no to an extent i think it's you know pure carnage certainly helps me in in matchups with bigger warbands but i think it's also insurance right because if uh Mm -hmm. you know there was one matchup where actually the very first game when you know a wiped out my entire warband and uh um we can go into the the basics of certain games but you know it even though i think I, i killed Two or three of the squigs, um, you know, he scored a bunch of glory, but I scored corn cares not and pure carnage in the end to uh, really close the gap. So, I think it's an uh, insurance against, um, you know, uh, very aggro warbands going into me. It certainly benefits if it's a um, if I'm playing against a uh, large warband. Um, but uh, you know, I I tried when I was designing the deck, I was you know trying to make sure it was as flexible and as many matchups as, as possible. Um, you know, as far as you know meta thoughts in particular um in my opinion the current meta was kind of built around uh charging up and you can argue the game itself in general is built this way but you know, charging up your warband turn one then snowballing right uh, and with this warband uh, i wanted to have the option uh, to get into someone turn one if necessary with a lot of damage and accuracy uh, and i think uh, with starting out at the range four having stuff like spectral wings and hidden paths and a ton of accuracy ploys and you know fighter that starts with three damage and two hammers i think uh, uh reavers offers kind of a good mix of all that um and then you know when you know the two um kind of um uh, two i guess worst fighters Targor and arnold when they inspire that should not have bad they attack on three swords and you know, target is two damage. If you give him great strength, he's doing three, you give him concealed weapon, he's doing potentially four. Um, I actually typically deploy them back early, kind of lead with Saken and Garrick and Karsus. And then, you know, they eventually die and then later end up upgrading the other two and bring them in and, uh, and they can, they do well as well. So, um, you know, I want to make sure I could, you know, attack like a Tome's Molog deck early or, you know, pass a Cursebreaker deck early and things like that and get into them. Um, and then, you know, with a larger Warband to your point, um, having Pure Carnage is great and uh, killing a bunch of smaller models with Shard Gale, that's, uh, that benefits me too. So I kind of wanted to be flexible into a lot of those matchups and, uh, but you know, funny enough to Amon's point, my, my one big fear was like a Thorns objective deck that just wouldn't attack me and play passive and very defensive. Um, Because then if I just happen to miss a few attacks on, you know, two dodge, three dodge models, um, I really fall behind and they score a ton of glory off supremacy. and I'd have any push ploys. So um, that was actually my my big fear. But, you know, fortunately, didn't seem to be very popular at at the meta Gen Con.
0: Very interesting. Cool. All right. Well, then um, I guess let's get into um, the games themselves. Um, There were 26 players at the event. Um, and I think it actually had one of the most um, diverse um, faction breakdowns, um, if you look at the numbers for each faction. the only There were only three factions that were not there, and it was Steelheart's Champions, Eyes of the Nine, and Godsworn. Um, everything else had at least one, and then the most was four of each Moloch and Profiteers. So um, the... Like, the... The graph for that looks pretty even, like probably the evenness that we've seen it um, in a while. So I was just pretty happy to see that. Um, seems like the bar, like you guys were saying, um, gave people a lot of options back. So I thought that was really neat to see um, from a you know a, a watching person's perspective. Um, and I bet it also made you guys play a lot of different weird stuff. <laughs> so. Why don't you guys get into your uh, first games? Um, do you want to start, Amon?
1: Um, Jimmy's our guest. Let's have him start.
2: Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, see, my first matchup was uh, against uh, Josh Nichols. And <laughs> quick aside, I listening to like other gaming podcasts or blogs and things like that, or reading blogs, I've always been super impressed by people that can, like, recite exactly what has happened in their games after a big tournament. Because after Gen of like, my brain was in a blender. I couldn't remember anything. So uh, I actually had to message a few people to get some details. Um, but yeah, faced uh, uh, Josh Nichols' uh, Um So in the very first game, uh, uh, he actually scored the most glory that anyone scored on me the uh, entire tournament, uh, 17. 17. I thought so. At the end of the game, I end up. Uh, I mentioned before, he, you know, wiped out my Warband. I, I didn't think it was that bad because I was going to score pure carnage and corner tears, not end up scoring 15 glory. And then at the end, he pulled out Annihilation, Denial, and Protect the Lair for 10 glory and won 17 to 15. <laughs> I was like, wow. wow! All right, that's uh, I didn't see that one coming. Um, but you know, it's you know, having those types of um you know, objectives as probably most, most listeners know too. You know, it's risky because especially in a best of three, um, you know, if you reveal those in the first game, you know, there's a lot of counterplay to that. So uh, uh, he didn't score those three, the, you know, the other two games and the other two games, um, I was able to kill Malak relatively early in both. um, And they were nine, five and nine, eight to me. So uh, close games, very cagey as it is with Malak. Um, You know, my focus was to try to just kill him early to stall all the glory um and was able to do that because i kind of have a lot of damage and nature if he kills say kills garrick um in the end i'm fine with that because i can tool up the other guys to do a lot of damage too so it's hard for him to kill all five of them without him getting a lot of damage in turn but a uh, great game uh josh was a great opponent uh you know those games kind of came down to the wire so uh, it was a lot of fun
1: great i'm on how was your first uh round yeah, so mine was really interesting because I didn't think I'd see this warband there. And, and there was a bunch of them, actually. So I played against Sean and his Iron Skulls boys in the first round. First game, I won board and, uh, you know, kind of just waited for him to engage with me. So scored some passive glory, um, went in for a, a late round one charge or, or phase one charge, and then started piling on the glory and, and, and kind of cleaned it up fairly early from there. Uh, went 11 to 1 in my first game. And then uh, second game, Sean won board, and he kind of plays it a little bit more aggressively. Again, um, baited him out with Allenson, and then just went to town on him. Uh, it, it's a kind of a tough matchup for the the Iron Skulls, I will say. And uh, their Inspire mechanic is a little wonky, um, so I comfortably got that game 18-2. to two. Yeah, I think there can be a lot of
0: issues with um, any melee war band really, if they just go into Dwarves, that firing zone. Yeah. kind of just get ripped apart makes sense so then you guys both won your first round and uh on to round two and uh jimmy i think your second round was against luke hartman who is uh pretty active on some of the uh facebook stuff i know i've talked to him a few times
2: yeah oh uh, yeah luke's a great guy uh really enjoyed meeting him and and, and playing with him and you know i was uh I was very happy to see another season one war band because he was uh, brave enough to bring uh sepulchral guard and had a very nice deck list with them it was um a bit hybrid but mostly aggro and uh uh which was which was great to see i mean i i thought he'd have you know more objective play in there but it kind of, it did surprise me when you know he was you know, playing the way it was which was a good wrinkle and uh and a lot of fun to play against um first game was like it was probably one of the closest games i had in the whole tournament um uh it I, first of all i won boards both games which was a great benefit to me um and in the first game, uh, first you know the start of the second uh, phase, Garrick was able to kind of missile in uh, after a shard gale and try to kill um, uh, kill the warden. Uh, he hit, uh, but then uh, um, Luke was able to kind of last chance away um, the uh, the attack. And start of the uh, third phase, he shadowed step, I believe, the warden to the middle of the board, and I uh, had like a bunch of cards in hand to score a few. Uh, Uh, score a few glory Um, but fortunately for me Targor was able to kind of get in there and um, you know with his range five and 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 finish the warden off with an encroaching shadow and attack so uh um, it turned out to be 15 13 to me and i definitely needed every bit of pure carnage to uh, come back on that one and then the second game you know i was fortunate i won boards again um, that one was able to kill uh, the warden relatively early with sake and uh, ended up being 19 to 14 to me, but it's still a very close game. So um, yeah, I was I was very uh, it was great to see him playing uh, the guard so well, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And we had a great time.
0: Yeah, and he actually came in 13th overall on that first day, so not shabby at all <laughs> uh, for for the skeletons, which I think most people would consider to be one of the weaker ones.
2: But. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool to
1: see him bring those. Up. Um, All
0: right, Manuel, how did your second uh, match go?
1: Yeah, so um, interestingly enough, I played against Iron Skull's boys again. The opponent I played, his name was Mark, and his son was also playing in the event, and he was playing Profiteers. And so it was uh, really nice chatting with Mark, really nice guy. But uh, he, he was playing a very interesting deck. He played like a hybrid orc deck, uh, just for the fact that he ran Supremacy. So, oh, wow yeah it was kind of weird, um but it worked. He actually scored it against me in the first game because I was like, There's no way he has supremacy and, and then boom, dropped it, and I was like, wow, we we one board? no, mark one board both games and but it was kind of similar experience to the first round uh, you know, again, he just got in there and and really did his best to take out some of uh, my fighters and uh, I think in the first game, he took down two of them, but again, I just. Did what that you know, Thundrix does best and, and fired away. It was a firing line and won the first game twenty two to seven and the second game, uh, no supremacy this time, but again, similar, I guess, to my first game and, and even the round before that, and I won nineteen to four. Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah, that again that matchup just seems
1: <laughs> really brutal for the orcs. So
0: yeah. Super um, brutal. Maybe supremacy is the way to go. I don't know. <laughs> um all right well that brings us to round three um jimmy you played robert cox and he's actually a local um to my area I, I get to play with him pretty regularly so that's pretty fun um how did that game go
2: yeah yeah robert was uh was great too uh you know all my opponents were, were great i had such a such a fun time playing against everybody they all knew what, what they were doing um robert's no exception um it's actually pretty funny um so we learned that a uh, warning shot into Reavers is a terrible idea because he just kept hitting me over and over again, except one dodge. Um, but he was trying to score warning shot a couple times early in both games and um, just kept hitting everybody, even with little, his little combos. Um But uh, yeah, both games were, were very close. We actually both are running pure carnage, um, which I think for for Gitz and, and, and for Godsworn, if they're running aggro. So he played kind of an aggro style with, uh, with the Gitz, which uh, was a fun deck to play against um it i, I think it's it, it runs pretty well i think you know, they're gonna bleed a little bit of glory but it's almost like a um kind of a third phase uh you know martyred for all the you know the um gobos you're gonna lose uh so it helps make up for that i think in that kind of play style that's where um fortunately for the reavers they have um kind of doubling down on that uh mentality of not caring if a bunch of fighters die they also have corn cares not for two glory which i can score at the end of, um, uh, any phase and also it begins for one glories if uh if um you know one fighter from each war out of action so i think um with that kind of play style I just wanting everyone to really you know end up on the side of the board not in, not in the table um i certainly had the issue there i won uh 18 in the first game and uh in the second game which was a uh, was pretty close i think there may be there may be three models left at the end of that game it was it was, it was pretty fun um but it was just kind of uh, we both kept kind of kept going at it at each other and um uh, just a whole bunch of aggro but i think the, the advantages of the deck and having a bunch of those cards um that kind of double down on that mechanic of bunch of fighters being out really helped me
0: yeah it definitely sounds like if you're both because i've played a lot of Godsworn and a lot of gets very similar to the way that he plays them um and you're kind of you want the same things to happen but you get a lot more glory from it
2: yeah exactly yeah
0: yeah um, all right, well then, uh, let's go to the third round for you, Amon.
1: Yeah, so played uh, Samuel, and I played against Thorns of the Bri- Briar Queen, so I was actually very happy to see this matchup. He actually played Robert the round before, and so because I was number one going into the third round, I got to play the bottom of the seed, bottom of that grouping at least, so uh, that's where Samuel was, and um, I won board first game. And so very happy that uh, I got to orientate the board. So I, I, I hit it fairly straight on, actually, because I needed to get in there and deny those objectives. Um, but when I drew my opening hand, it was insane. So I had Shard Gale, had Lethal Ward, Encroaching Shadows, uh, Distraction, and um, like Fueled by Fury. It was nuts. And so like first uh, first turn, I just like blew up half his board. He was not anticipating Shard Gale. And, uh, you know, killing three fighters off the bat was, was very powerful, and it kind of forced him to get in an aggressive mindset because uh, he really couldn't reliably get to those objectives. And so game ended up being a lot closer than I thought it would be. Um, it's actually really funny because I killed so many ghosts I couldn't shoot as many. <laughs> and so because some of my cards are revolving around that mechanic, um, it, uh, it was a little interesting. But uh, I ended up winning thirteen to eight, and then game two, uh, Samuel won board, which was awesome because I got to have my three objectives and he had to come to me. I was very wary of sudden appearance, shadowed step, hidden paths, and all that, like the Briar Queen does love to have. But um, I like drew a terrible hand. Uh, it was like uh, four upgrades and like I don't know some some other ploy card. I think like seek the sky vessel. And I was like, man, I cannot, I cannot just, I can't use this. So, dump my hand, and then I draw Encroaching Shadow, Lethal Ward, Trap, Fuel by Fury, and Ready for Action. And I'm like, okay, this is really good. Um, so, he gets a little cagey in the beginning, um, because he doesn't want to, like, commit to just getting, uh, like, one fighter so I could shoot that fighter. Um, so, I drew a card, just to, like, force him to make a reaction, and I drew Shard Gale So, again, um, kind of um, the same thing.
0: Sounds I like just, all those... Sounds like all those games that you played where you drew four upgrades and ready for action, the luck finally went
1: (laughs) your way. (laughs) Yeah, right? Exactly. (laughs) So I, uh, again, got to do the exact same thing I did. And this time there wasn't really much he could do to catch up. And I comfortably won 21 to 8.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons why in my...
0: Honestly, it has a lot to do with... uh, me not wanting to see this Reavers deck. (laughs) Um, In my gets, I've been running uh, Forceful Denial, so hopefully I can stop some
1: Shardgales. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's such a good card nowadays, but it was just really nice to see, like, you know, I love it when a plan comes together type of situation. Um, I planned for that matchup. I knew that they could outscore me, and I turned the tables.
0: Yeah, Shardgale's incredible like that against the uh, bigger warbands, because a lot of the time without it, they're going to get, like... 20 plus glory um, if you let them do their thing. So.
1: Oh yeah, it's insane cool. how much glory the Thorns can score. Oh, yeah, speaking
2: ahead. to Shardgale, too, I kind of forgot, but uh, in both the last, the previous two matches I had versus skeletons and, and gets. Um, yeah, Shardgale was just invaluable against those uh, those larger uh, warbands. I think there was in game two against Luke. I think I played Shardgale and killed like three skeletons all at once. So it was just a. Um, because they're so vulnerable they have such you know such low health it was uh yeah it's it's a very good card against those warbands for sure i I would if i were them and knew i'd you know be going into a meta with shard gale i think forceful denial probably would be a good play
0: yeah i've actually had to get really cagey with it because a number of people are running shard gale right now it seems like and so I'll do stuff like, because if I calculated risk, suddenly I'm in danger, you know, Exactly. Um, with a goblin. So I'll try to, like, put Crown of Avarice on a one health fighter um, to try to make that a little bit less likely. And then, yeah, things like forceful denial or um, I've been thinking about bringing Tainted Vitality. I'm just not sure if it's good enough. So anyway, (laughs) how did your final game go on that first day, Jimmy?
2: yeah i was um playing uh, uh paul steiner's uh profiteers and he was ranked uh, uh number one i think uh the final four was uh paul myself for the one to four matchup and uh two and three was amon and uh, duncan bills um you know paul very good player um he uh is this <laughs> amon and i were talking about this the next day actually after after the final so um Paul was running, not I don't think it was identical, but you know it was a pretty similar deck to Amon's, and I actually learned so much from this matchup that I then was fortunately, for me at least, was able to apply to the game with Amon. So you know, Amon was kind of penalized for the fact that I was able to see a, a lot of that you know playstyle uh, prior in the day before. Um, so I I had um, played against profiteers probably twice as reavers and TTS games before Gen Con, and you know, I was trying to figure out you know the best way to play against them, and I knew that. Um, you know, one of the things that profiteers would really rely on is is you know shooting and getting close, relatively close, like within range for attacks to take advantage of their score immediately and to get that chain going. So, um, for me, one of the benefits of playing reavers and kind of more of the aggro but also denial way that I try to play them is that because I, I start with range four and have a bunch of mobility ploys, I can I can kind of sit back and and try to let them make the first move, draw a bunch of ploys and um, then make my move when I need to make it. Um, I actually got out of that a little bit, um, and made some mistakes early against Paul. I was, you know, instead of waiting to the fourth act activation, I would like move in in a third and kind of give him an opening to score, like two score immediately and get that train going. Um, so, you know, he kind of, the, the glory total was, was close, but he, he won, um, both uh, of our games fairly, you know, handily. And, uh, and yes, that was, um, at that point I was hoping I was able to make it to the next day and was fortunate because he actually ended up dropping. Um, he was very gracious about it. And, uh, I think he was, he told me he was judging, I think, I believe a game of Thrones, um, card game event the next day. as uh, so I knew he wasn't able to make it to the game, t- uh, to day two, but, um, yeah, it was a, a great game. You know, he, he played very well. You know, I, uh, I certainly learned a lot, you know, from those games, which to, um, to the detriment of a mod the next day, but, uh, <laughs> It was a uh, good game for sure.
1: Yeah, it's really funny actually that you mentioned that Paul had to step out of the tournament because, you know, he, the next morning, as you mentioned, had to uh, judge the Game of Thrones event. And turns out while we're playing in day two, he stops by and we're like, yo, how's the, the TOing going? And he's like, they actually finished the event last night. The players didn't want to come the second day. And so um, I found out when I showed up this morning and dice were like, no one was there. And then by the time I've walked over here, you guys are already uh, well into your games.
2: Oh, so I felt sucks. really
1: bad. Oh, man. Had to oh, that's <laughs> brutal. Yeah.
2: That's brutal. Ugh. Mm-hmm.
1: But he was really kind, really, um, I, he was a good spirit about it. You know, like as a TO, I'm sure he got some benefits when it came to travel. So um, at the end of the day, he was just grateful for the experience and happy with his performance from day one. So
2: Yeah, as he should be. He played shout very out well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very nice guy.
1: Right. So what was your last game on the first day like? So I got to face my recent nemesis. It's always one of the Bills brothers. But um, I got to play Duncan, Duncan Bills. And uh, Duncan's a great guy, um, very gregarious, uh, very animated during games. And I've come to enjoy that. And so we've never – I've I've actually, in the last two uh, major events that we've played against each other, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of our games. Um, And so we played – and he was playing an aggro Molag deck, very aggro, my turn. <laughs> the,
2: the, the most defense. aggro, the most aggro. <laughs> yeah, like
1: there was there was no doubt in his mind that, you know, he's going to get in there and start swinging from the get-go. And um, that's actually really bad when it comes to Profiteers because, as uh, Jimmy mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the top-tier warbands, at least at the time, kind of take a, a turn to, I guess, power up, right? And so... Yes, there is a target, but I'm also afraid to shoot the target because, you know, there's my turn aggressive defense. So I'm just giving him an extra attack before it's even his activation. Uh, and then also, you know, he ran light-footed, which means he can be pushed. So, like, trap was kind of ineffective as well. But I was kind of prepared for this matchup as well because, you know, if Mala gets you early and he starts rolling well he, he, and he starts one-shotting your fighters... It's hard to get to the squigs, especially if you can't draw Hidden Paths or Faneway. So that's why I kind of took some of those damage cards. And Duncan got Inspiration Strikes or Blazing Souls, one of the two, like first or th- second activation. And then, you know, he kind of went to town. So um, I wasn't able to get Moloch down, but I was able to eliminate all the squigs and then actually Hidden path someone there to score some of the uh, the attack action objectives that I had. And I was able to win 13 to 10. Uh, with Molog, it's always a little bit of a nail biter, per se. You don't really know how it's going to go. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I felt pretty practiced against it, and so I felt confident going to the second game. Um, the second game was a completely different story. Um, I had Get the Hence and Combination Strike in my opening hand and Escalation. And so I had a good feeling that if I could score Get the Hence, I could get into one of my uh, other score immediately objectives. And later when I drew. Uh, it was one of those score immediately objectives, but I missed three shots with Iron Hill and inspired Iron Hill for two of them, and I couldn't score get the hints. It was wow. wild. Yeah, it was, un- it was unfortunate, but again, um, you know, I couldn't draw my accuracy-inducing uh, gambit, so um, the statistics there kind of, I guess, didn't go in my favor. But again, it is what it is, and uh, it got to a point where I just couldn't score anything turn one. And so I just uh, looked at Duncan and I was like, you've already won this game. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you're sitting on five glory. Um, we finished it out just because for the sake of glory. But uh, it was just going through the motions at that point. Um, and yeah, I don't know, some of my readers will know that when I lose, like I forget to take pictures and I don't take notes anymore because like, I get a little bit more serious. Not to say that I wasn't playing serious earlier. It's just like I like everything escapes me and I just focus on the game. So we went to game three, and it was a pretty, it was a really good game. Um, again, you know, Duncan gets inspiration strike opening hand, and uh, it's really hard to, I guess, come back from that, especially when he deploys on the line. And so I did my best. I got in there and I shot some squigs. But to his credit, he like did not block any of the objectives because he was afraid of lethal ward. So I played it once in the first game, which actually helped me win the game. And then after that, he just did not let me... It was a dead card in my hand, pretty much. I did end up killing Molog in the third game, but I by then his glory lead was a little bit too high, and then I missed some attacks in the end because I couldn't get to my accuracy-inducing cards. And so he got me, I think, by like three or four glory. So it took a loss in round four.
0: Okay, yeah. So you guys both actually uh, lost in the fourth round, but... Um... Fortunately, you were able to make the cut, which is kind of a cool um, sort of effect of the two-day format. Um, and in this situation, they did a six-day cut, but like we mentioned, the person in the first position, Paul, um, actually had to drop, and so did Cat, uh, who was playing
1: Moloch's mob. Yeah, I think she was in fourth. We played her at ATC.
0: Yeah, the top six was Paul with his profiteers, Duncan with Molog, Amon with Profiteers, Cat with Molog, and then Gentry with McGore's Fiends and Rob with Zarbag's Gifts. So, a little bit Profiteer Molog heavy, <laughs> hmm. but once the um, the Cat Molo- uh, dropped with Molog and Paul dropped with Profiteers, um, it actually became uh, Cheryl and Jimmy got to go in with Reavers and Moloch. Uh, although the other way around jimmy had reavers cheryl had Moloch, so two Molochs, but otherwise a pretty diverse top eight is what it ended up being so yeah um, i find that really cool from a sort of stats perspective two of those are the shade spire war bands and uh you know they all had a shot at the the final so yeah that's cool
2: To that point, uh, and the two-day format, uh, yeah, just a shout out again to GW for changing the Grand Clash format to incorporate two days. Um, yeah, I can say for a fact um, in the previous, uh, I guess, Grand Clash format where you had four games cut to a top, to, a top two, um, that seemed, at least from me reading previous Grand Clashes and you know transcripts and and stories about the games it seemed to be all all about glory differential and just like curb stopping your opponents and making sure that your deck was able to do that and that is something that i feel in the current meta where you know season one warbands maybe a little bit underpowered still competitive you still can win games certainly but um, may not have that potential um, really kind of close the door on them but having having a structure which which um, rewards wins overall over just glory differential um, I think is is great, uh, great for the game and great for having um, a more diverse um, selection of war bands at events and very happy that GW made that decision, Not, notwithstanding also the fact that you can get to an actual winner as opposed to having several undefeated people at the end of the day, you know, feel like they're being left out uh, as they had every right to be. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm a big fan of it.
2: Yeah, so
0: am I, um, especially at the larger events where you could have anything from like five to ten I think they had 10 at one of the UK events with like 200 people. They had 10 undefeated players at the end and that, that just doesn't feel good. I don't think so. Yeah. Totally I think agree. it's great. Yeah. They've moved to the second day format. Um, I I guess I'd say I kind of wish maybe they would have like an adjustable format that changes based on the number of players. Cause you know, for example here, maybe they could have just done a fifth round to find a true winner. Um, but you know, if they've already scheduled the two days. Then, you know, this is probably their best choice as well. So Um, but we can talk about the format and, you know, the, it it seems like it's evolving constantly and every time they do an update, I think it just gets better. So, yep, um, that's just one of the great things. It seems like GW is listening, um, and just pushing more towards, uh, the competitive game that we want it to be. So, um, all right. Well, so for day two, um, why don't we start with, uh, Jimmy, you can tell us what happened in the first two rounds
2: sure yeah so I think um so Amon and Duncan uh got buys and the bottom four played it out I think um uh Rob and uh believe uh Cheryl, Cheryl yeah Cheryl There, yeah. that was the um three and six matchup and the four and five matchup with myself and uh Gentry who's a great guy playing Magor's Fiend so you know represented season one which is awesome um, um was, I was uh Corn um, <laughs> was very happy. Corn was very happy. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to play against Magoras. I hadn't played against him before with Reavers. I had an idea how I wanted to play. I think Reavers um, actually probably start with an advantage because they're they start with move four and Magor outside of you know Rip his warband starts move three, so I have a bit of a um, advantage as far as closing distance early uh, and controlling um, that uh, that zone of engagement. Um, the first game though, I, you know, I thought I had my plan in place. And, you know, as we, you know, talked about where, you know, certain times, um, the dice can leave you in a game, which, which happens. Um, I, out of like the nine or 10 attacks I had in the first game, I only hit once and it was like turn three with like Targor, and, uh, he hit on like all but one, which is to be expected with, you know, McGorris going into reverse. Um, but you know, it shit just happens and you know, I had a lot of actually deploys, but just, you know, didn't work out. And, um, uh, and and up losing that one uh, 11 to 16. Um, but you know with that one he extended the lead by scoring a uh, denial, which um, you know again is a um, it can there's a great benefit to cards like that right that um, uh, that can score a lot of glory. But you know maybe telegraph how you're playing um, and how you're scoring your endgame game glory uh, going forward. And um, I was able to you know, prevent him scoring it the next few games. Um, the second game was 15-8 to me. And uh, that was just like a really bloody game. And because I really hadn't had a chance to get into much of my scoring in game one, that's when he first saw pure carnage. So then he was like, huh, maybe I shouldn't, um, uh, you know, be killing everyone. Um, you know, controlling his the the, the impulses of corn, right? Doing his best. So game three was a lot. It was, was very interesting because to his credit, he adjusted his strategy and uh, it was a very cagey game. We were actually kind of, it was like a Mexican standoff in game three where we were just like staring at each other, waiting for someone to make the first move. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but uh, um, it was, I think the first time we actually made an attack was like middle of turn two. We just kind of kept drawing power cards and, you know, making other small moves here and there. Um, but I ended up winning that one uh, eight to seven and pulling out in the end. So it was a great game. Uh, Gentry's a great guy and it was very uh, uh, glad, glad to face him on, on day two.
1: Yeah, it was really funny actually. I remember Mr. Pittman, the TO, he walked by, and he was like, oh, "There are way too many models on this field for a corn versus corn game."
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. It was so funny because game two, um, uh, we we actually got confused. Uh, I, I think he definitely did. He thought that the second turn was uh, for a second was the actual was the end of the game because there were like no models left. I mean, everyone was dead, um, which is you know, very fitting for a corn on corn matchup. Um, but like I said, to his credit, kind of adjusted his strategy and, um, didn't want to give give up pure carnage uh, in game three after I played it uh, game two. So it was you know, much more cagey. I didn't score it, um, uh, game three, but we were just, you know, it was, it was a very, um, it was a game that's played certainly on around the edges and very, uh, uh very carefully. And I just ended up, uh, taking it uh, by one glory for, um, in the end, which was, you know, again a lot of fun and down to the wire.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting matchup because they hit a lot harder than you do generally, but you have the speed on them. So, cool. <clears throat>
2: um,
0: and then how did your second day or your second round go, Jimmy?
2: Yeah. So then, um, yeah, then I ended up playing, um, uh, Duncan Bills, who I actually uh, I know Duncan from playing competitive Malifaux. He um was uh, um, a couple years ago he was the uh, Malifaux uh, national champion and always performed well at Malifaux events. Uh, he and his brother. Um, it was fun to kind of to see him and play Underworlds with him. Um, you know, I've uh, you know heard about his uh his ag- very aggressive aggro, of all aggro, monolog decks, and was looking forward to playing against it. And, and yeah, this one was a it was a barn burner. Um, it was probably one of the closest games, closest rounds of uh, Underworlds that I've uh, ever ever played. Um, so just to kind of quickly, route, go over the actual game itself. But the first game was. 13-14 him, then it was 11-8 me, and then the third game was an 8-8 true tie because he had a, um, I think Stalag's with an objective, but he can't score, an, uh, can't hold an objective, so it was like a true 100% tie. We both still have models left, so it just came down to the glory differential the first two games. So it was incredibly close. But um, the first game, um, you know, I lined up Garrick up front um, because. With an uninspired monologue, it takes you know two uh, two shots to kill him. I didn't want him to you know, one shot too many of my guys, especially somebody important like Sake, too um, uh, um, too early. Uh, but um, he ended up going uh, early and hitting Garrick twice, uh, and actually scoring victorious duel, um, which was you know good for me to know. I probably should have seen that one coming. Um, and after turn one uh, was up eight to one, so it was a pretty pretty big discrepancy there. Uh, I was able to come back, um, again, largely due to that comeback mechanic of having um, just uh, you know, a lot of models being dead by the end of the game. Um, I don't believe uh, Did I kill Mologue this game? I may have very late, or I may have not. Um, but there are definitely more than seven models uh, dead at the end of this one. Uh, so I scored pure carnage and corn cares not to kind of catch up and get within one glory. And uh, again, like to his credit, he's like, Hmm, all right well i don't want you to score that again so he was very careful with how he attacked kind of c- controlled that you know extremely aggro impulse that, that duncan always lines up with um and which was, was very careful counting the number of models every time um you know he kills something so going forward in the next two games so um uh, the next game uh, again started out you know malik just came in swinging uh fortunately for me i was able to get uh some damage on him with garrick um then i he had already hit Garrick with three damage attack. Garrick had one wound left, and I played Shargill to kill Garrick. Uh, he actually did have Victorious Duel in his hand again, turn one. So very happy I did that. Um, gave up you know one glory instead of uh, instead of three. And then uh, fortunately for me, I won the roll to start uh, turn two in that second game, and stake uh, was able to kind of go around a corner and uh, smack Moloch to kill him. So you know once Moloch's dead in a very aggro deck like that, it's you know hard for him to you know score too much. So he was uh, he kind of stalled out at about eight glory. You know, I was able to you know, win 11-8, and yeah, you know, that that last game was, I mean, Amon was watching the end of it. It was it was pretty wild. I mean, I um, there's so many very close, tenuous moments. I mean, I, I couldn't list them all. Um, it was did come down to us being tied. He scored burst of speed from moving a spite room um, with ready for action across the board. I think he also had like potion of grace to do another move action um he charged Targor, killed him before i was able to score cover ground with fainweight crystal it was just like it was it was totally nuts um but uh you yeah, end up coming down to a tie 8-8 but because of the glory differential the previous game was able to take it so i was sweating bullets the entire time uh duncan's a great player great opponent um but uh but yeah i think you know playing something a little off meta uh, probably did help me i think he was um um you know he, he's played against reavers of course but you know i think um just playing something different as opposed to something that you know he would see you know multiple times in a big event uh, was helpful for me so it was, it was a lot of fun though
0: yeah honestly it's probably not something he's played against in the last like 6 months <laughs> if, the, if the meta is anything to, to show but that sounds like an incredibly close game that is one of the things I love about Pure Carnage is that it really just gives your opponent like a bad choice because a lot of the time they need to kill you to stop you but it's they just can't.
2: So. Yeah, no, completely agree. In a in a very uh, aggro, you know, score immediately objective meta, which I, I think we're in and probably still in. Uh, pure carnage is is great for the bigger warbands. Totally agree.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun that way. Um, all right, come on. Well, how did your because you got by the first round? So how did yep. your second round go? Now that Jimmy has made it to the final.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> while Jimmy was playing Duncan, I was playing uh, Rob. And uh, really nice player, he was playing uh, the Gits, And so, again, uh, one of the warbands that I uh, felt like I had prepared for, just in the way my deck had been built. Um, yeah, we so, had
0: actually done a little bit of practice. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I was up. like,
1: yeah, I want to play Gits just to see it. And you were playing uh, an aggro variant of it, which was pretty scary, actually, because it's just flying green midgets with giant weapons. Um, and it was not... It was not fun to practice against. Um, But uh, in this situation, Rob had a a more of a passive uh, scoring deck. And so didn't get like some crazy hand in this game. It was just a very uh, cagey opening, I guess, round where, you know, I scored calculated risks, got a change of tactics off towards the end. Um, I was able to deny his premacy by just... uh, hitting someone off. I didn't even uh, kill the Goblin. I just pushed him off. But then in the second round, I started getting some of the better cards that can help, I guess, level the playing field, if you will. And so I just drew into the combo, dropped it on him, and he was completely shooketh. He was like, dude, I did not see that coming. He was just like, he just kept repeating Shard Gale, like muttering it out loud. Um, and it was, it, was, um, it was really nice to take someone su- by surprise like that. Um, but I also kind of felt bad because like, at that point, he knew it was going to be like a, an uphill battle. But again, to his credit, he was a fantastic player. He managed to make the game very close, and uh, I only won 21 to 19. So um, from going like from wiping out half his warband towards the end of the game, he he just piled on glory. So uh, I was very wary going into the second game, um, and then this time he longboarded me, which I thought was really interesting. But again, um, kind of was patient, calculated risk, uh, cheeky change of tactics, and then just waiting to draw the combo, waiting. Uh, and then when I finally did, played it, uh, got Iron Hill in there with Rapid Reload, and I just like blipped two Goblins. It was very satisfying. I ended up taking that game 18-12. to 12, So was fairly happy by the way I guess I had prepared for the matchup, um, and uh, it kind of went, again, just as i planned.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was after some of the games that we played that you decided to put Shardgale in.
1: Yeah, I remember we were just like theory crafting one late night, and yeah. um, I was like, I have, I was like, I wonder if I should take Lethal Ward, and then I'm like putting it in the deck, and then you were like, I wonder if you take Shardgale, and then it just devolved into this like 10 to 15 minute <laughs> like, this would be cool, this would be awesome, no one would see this coming, but you know, and it was just, it was a really cool and very reminiscent of like the older Farstrider list. Um, that Mm-mm. doesn't see the rounds anymore. But, um, you know, it's it's very reminiscent of that play style. Just making sure that when I do hit you, even if it's a low damage attack, it's enough to take you out or lead to a gambit taking you out later, which was very important to me.
0: Yeah, I had actually been playing against some Skaven decks because they're all the rage right now. Yeah. And uh, some of them are running Shard Gale. Um And. It's just devastating against the goblins, <laughs> so I'm a little bit teched towards it now. But um, it's a good one. So, uh, but it sounds like, and the cool thing about goblins is that they do score so much mm-hmm. that sometimes even that's not enough. Yeah. So uh, it's a pretty interesting matchup, I think. So, all right, well that is everything but the final. And surprise, surprise, it was the both of you. That's it's almost like we planned this episode yeah crazy right never saw it coming
1: branching fate yeah.
0: indeed. <laughs> um so how did that how, how, how what were you guys thinking going into that uh matchup because i guess jimmy said he hadn't really played too much of it until the day before and i can't imagine that it was really something that you had thought too much about amon
1: yeah so that's actually a really good point so uh alluding to what i said a little bit earlier like i i was very wary of the reavers but i just i i guess much like i had a little bit of hubris i suppose i was like who's gonna take a um and uh that surely uh bit me in the behind later but um as we've already mentioned that jimmy did win the series but um i i was kind of so number one like i was watching Mologue and um and, and uh, the Reavers duke it out, and uh, Jimmy and I had grabbed drinks the night before, um, and then we uh, we kind of talked about, you know, just how the way our decks functioned, because we figured, you know, I mean, we'd both seen each other play, that we knew what was in our deck, so there was just no point in hiding it, and we, I mean, just some great conversation all around, so um, as much as I, you know, I admire Duncan as a great monologue player, and a player in general, um, it was kind of that, like, X factor that, oh my god, Reavers are in the semifinals. And so just like a lot of people have been, you know, kind of raging online, I was just very interested to see, you know, kind of Jimmy make it. And, and, and I, I saw the effect of his a deck in person. I was like, you know, I know exactly what I'm up against. He knows exactly what he's up against. And so like my mindset was like, I need to get in and kill his guys early before he can kind of score other cards. Because at the end of the day, if he just gets pure carnage, it begins and corn is not. And maybe a kill. That's seven glory. I can beat seven glory. Uh, I mean, that was my intention at least going into the games.
2: Cool. How about you, Jimmy? Yeah. So, um, yeah, to echo Amon's point, it was it was definitely a lot of fun, kind of chatting about it. Um, you know, the night before, I think, you know, we both uh, had some some great thoughts in, in how each warband would play to each other. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I it was a great benefit to me though to basically have like a Barring match against the a very similar matchup um, the day before against against Paul, because, you know, one of the things I realized is that, you know, they're, once a, a Thundrix deck really goes off and he gets a couple of the score immediately, out and scores its objectives everyone's inspired. I mean, it's very tough to stop. I mean, there was when they inspire, they gain so much. Um, there's so many good upgrades they can take um you know they have a great combination of just range and some mobility and and also some staying power and, and tankiness so it's just a, it's a very good warband um but you know one of the things that i was realizing playing in Paul's deck and realizing some of my mistakes from that game is that you know without if if i don't just run right into him and give him opportunities to kind of counter charge me and you know, he doesn't have outside of maybe a calculated risk doesn't have too much passive glory uh while i can kind of wait till the very end of a of a turn and there are other, you know, I can score things like, um, you know, maybe like, a, um, you know, cover ground or at the very end of a turn score, like, um, you know, uh, off of charge and, score maybe like a branching, uh, branching fade combination with use of force and kind of build up that way. Cause I had the range to control that engagement because I started out range four and throughout the entire, uh, Grand Clash, I never deployed up on the line. I always kind of deployed a little bit back, again, just to kind of control that distance and, you know, deny maybe some of those initial early easy uh, objective scores. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how, it's how it started. I mean, I, um, uh, you know, I'm on, I think, one boards and was, it didn't deploy the boards in a complete diagonal, but it was diagonal-ish. Uh, I think there may be like four or five, you know, common hexes um, in the middle, and, uh, you know, it may have surprised him a little bit that I deployed kind of so far back because uh, it really forced him to kind of dig into some of his um, uh, um, some of his movement ploys to get in and, and start, start scoring some of his glory. But it was a um, it was a great first game. I mean, it came down to like to the wire. I think it was a one glory game. Um, you have any thoughts on the first game, Amani, kind of your thoughts going into it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like I. To your point, like when you started deploying a little bit behind, I was like, oh crap, you know, because it's a really interesting mind game. Because if I deploy on the line, you can hit me. If I don't deploy on the line, you have to come to me. But the interesting thing about your deck is that, again, you don't need to, at least not when you want to. So a, a major weakness of Thundrix Profiteers is that they don't necessarily get to control their engagements as much as they'd like. And I think, you know, you played that really well to where i again like jonathan said earlier like you it forces me to make a bad choice either way so i went with the safer choice i think um just because i i figured you had to come to me at some point and when i realized you weren't um you know like i scored calculated risk but you just didn't give me an opportunity to get change of tactics off and so uh immediately like into the second round i was like all right well you know we got to just dig for movement or damage ploys and then uh was able to get like I, I don't know if you like remember this, but I got Kazgan in and I like killed Sake um, mm-hmm. through a hidden paths, mm-hmm. and I felt pretty good about it. And then I put Crown of Avarice on him, and I was like, um, you know, either way, it's gonna work out um, because I'll get the glory. But I was hoping, you know, you would uh, you would kind of leave him alone because he couldn't move. <laughs> but then you went in with Garrick and just nailed him, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I was uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, um, that's I still get the glory. That's fine. And then I was able to – I have sound finances in my deck. And for those of you who don't know what that does is if you have five unspent glory, you get two glory at the end. And so for me, I just didn't spend my glory. Um, or if I did, um, it was so that I knew that I could score another glory to replace these, the spent glory. And so um, I think I think you were generally surprised by how close that game was um, because um, from my point of view, I was like, I, I, you know, like, you've, you've got me. And then I it kind of drew into some cards where I was like, I think I have a shot.
2: Yeah, you really, um, you really caught up at the end there for sure.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, I remember when you were like, "I'm at 11," and I was like, "I was at 10." You're like, "Oh, wow, okay." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah.
2: Just by the uh, skin of my teeth. Yeah, just my mentality in that game. Yeah, to your point, I was just just kept drawing cards, right? So whenever I did make an attack, I had you know two or three you know accuracy or damage ploys at my disposal, plus movement stuff and everything else. And when I would you know jump in, I'd you know hopefully score you know two or three glory off the attack at the end of the phase and um you know deny you the ability to kind of start churning through your objective deck and you know if you were able to kind of attack at the end of a um uh you know at the end of a a phase yeah it's fine and maybe get you know one or two objectives but uh, i didn't want to get in there early and um allow you to kind of just just you know mow through all those score immediately and just stack up all that quick glory
1: yeah exactly so and um to your credit man you you played it very well i I even I mentioned at the table as well and and Duncan who was watching the game too like he looked stressed just watching the game. He <laughs> <laughs> did. So um it was it was a great first game but um I after that game I felt confident that I could I could force a game 3 but um I guess we'll explain to everybody what really happened.
2: Yeah, so uh um you know we rolled the boards um set the boards up uh, started to um set the objectives out and then uh yeah I I drew Uh, I drew four upgrades and and a ploy. I think the ploy was Trap, uh, which, you know, a lot of people, they they look at that and they think, oh, man, like my luck. I I draw into these and, you know, I I can't really do anything with them. And if you're running like a Tomes deck or something like that or or some build we rely on on specific upgrades, like that's totally true. That could really um, hurt you. Um, But I guess I have a lot of redundant upgrades. I frankly don't really care about any one of them uh, if I happens to me that uh, I think it's actually great. Cause it's more likely it can draw a lot of, you know, aggro ploys next. And yeah, I, I mulligan my power, um, power hand. I'd already drawn a lot of great score immediately for my objective hand. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just drew the God hand. I just drew, drew every ploy I needed. Uh, and then not, not to mention also in the first two activations drew two cards and I'd like shard gale, spectral wings, encroaching shadow, blood offering haymaker. It was like everything. So, uh, I think I, Duncan was looking at my hand and, you know, I could exchange the look. Um, but uh, yeah, it, at that point I knew it'd be, you know, to the, to your point about luck, sometimes, um, you know, you just, you get a really good draw and that can, that can really impact the game and especially in a close game between good players.
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. But I remember the night before, after we had a couple drinks in, we were a bit more loose lipped with uh, the way our decks worked. And I remember you gave me a, a tell of yours, which was like <laughs> when I draw the de- when I draw a good hand, um, you know, there's like it's like a small smirk that you, it's so subtle that you can miss it. But I was looking for it because I remembered that for some reason and I saw it and I said, "Shit. He got the good hand." And then <laughs> um after that I saw you slightly tilt your cards to like show Duncan what you drew and that just reinforced my opinion. Yeah, I'll have um, to work
2: on my poker face next time. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I would I would recommend because and, and that's another thing that, you know, just for anyone listening. Um, and I learned this from Tony, is watch your opponent, right? Like, when they're drawing a card, just their eyes might give it away. Um, And and I think that's another element of the game that you might not necessarily, not you in specific, but just in general, whoever's listening, that the the listener might not necessarily have taken into account. But um, I, I knew that I had a very limited amount of time before you just did what you needed to do and the game was over. Yeah. But and for, um, for,
2: for the record, I showed Duncan both my hands. So I wasn't, I wasn't that obvious, but for, for I sure. I'm, I'm sure I was, um, uh, I'm sure you could tell that, that I was, uh, I, had yeah. a good hand I saw play.
1: it. I saw it. And you looked, I even made a comment and then you just looked at me and smiled. And, uh, <laughs> and I was, so, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was nice extra level of play there. And, uh, I still felt like I could have done it. I had a really pretty decent hand. Actually, it wasn't like God hand or anything, but it was good. And, um, I did my best, but I, I don't know if you recall, I just missed a lot of attacks, uh, even a Potion of Rage one.
2: Um, yeah, it, it was a rough game for you, for sure.
1: Yeah. And uh, I remember at one point you were just like, dude, I'm sorry that you're rolling so bad. <laughs> yep. And I was like, ah, it's, it's all right. You know, I mean, like the thing is, is that, again, you mentioned it. Um, you can't get mad at that stuff. You yeah. know, like the fact that I was in my third Grand Clash final in a row was achievement enough. I mean, obviously you want to win, but, um, you know, sometimes things just don't work out and you just you can't. It's not my fault. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah and so, agreed. like, very, like, I guess, like, at end of turn two, I just looked at you uh, and I was like, ah, I'm not going to win this. And then you're like, no. <laughs> and, I was like, uh, and I was like, good game. And we just shook hands. Uh, I will have to say, you are a wonderful opponent. I'm not just saying that because you're here, I, I generally uh, think so. Um, and
2: nice. um, you as well, man. You as well.
1: I, I appreciate that, and 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 very humble. And, and I mean, obviously, you know, like you, you did something that a lot of people didn't think was possible, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then one thing that really um, kind of helped me, I guess, heal from the loss quicker than I anticipated was Duncan. Kind of just came up and was like, "Dude, I don't know how you could have played that any better." Um, you know, he's like, "I I maybe saw one thing that I would have done differently, but you know, I felt like if I was in your position, I would have done the same moves yeah. and." You know, it just comes down to it's a bad matchup, and you have a you know and it's an excellent opponent. And I was like, absolutely. And yeah, and, it was very nice
2: of Duncan to to watch the game and hear yeah. his feedback after the game. That that was really nice of him.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kudos to him for just being a great sport and just being interested. But furthermore, like, I mean, dude, like I said this on one of the Facebook groups, and uh, you know, a lot of people are complaining about season one warbands and stuff like that. And even if it was my at my own expense, like I'm very happy to be a part of the reason why and i'm not saying it's like it's it's like i did it no i was just i was just there i was a bystander but reavers won gen con do you could you have ever imagined someone saying that maybe you did prior to the event because you were <laughs> but like prior to, to you and maybe a handful of people who knew how your deck functioned like do you really think anyone would have said that i don't think so personally so very yeah, well
0: i will say as a like a, a bystander for this one um and but i'll because i try to track these events and you know let people know what's going on from bcp and things like that and i'm in some of the discords and stuff um it was very exciting to watch oh the reavers won the first round oh the reavers won the second round and then we're like wow there's a three and oh reavers (laughs) and then we were kind of sad when they got knocked out in the uh the final of the first day and then we were like oh they're not going to make the top six and then when we found out that you had made it we were like we're going to have Reavers in the second day. Um, So it was very exciting from a viewer's perspective. And then as it became more apparent that it was going to be Amon against the Reavers, it was a really funny situation where me and a few of the other people that were following along, we were torn between, we really wanted Reavers to get a win and we did not want Amon to lose in another final. So, it was uh, a real roller coaster there, but yeah.
2: And, uh, and to uh, to Amon's credit, you know, I mentioned this to him. You know, after uh, after played, uh, and he was just you know a great opponent. You know, and uh, it was a great game. And um, I, I think, you know, in in, game, in games where they're great players, it's like a final round matchup. I think you know the the fact that you know myself you you know Duncan made the final four I think that's you know it's already a pretty good testament that we're you know we're good players and know what we're doing and that's you know that's more than you know things like you know luck as we discussed in that matchup yes certain times things can be drawn or 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 dice can fall dice can fall in certain ways you know we all can maybe play a little better but that's you know sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles but your consistency of you know being in three grand uh, grand clash finals now not just you know like two here and one, you know, across the pond, I think that's, that's very incredible. And that's a, that consistency it matters more than just a single grand clash win. So, you yeah, know, great work, man.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and again, you know, to, to, to your credit, like, you know, it wasn't, yeah, luck was a factor and, and we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, but like you, you played, you played well, um, you understood your matchup, you adapted very quickly from the day before. And those are all hallmark signs of a great player. So I'm um, very, very happy that, you know, one of us was able to do it. I think we had talked about that the night before, you know, hopefully we'll see each other <laughs> in the finals and uh, you know, I, I'm not really too upset with it. You know I mean? Like it's, it's kind of, you know, there's a little bit of like, damn, you know, we, we were almost <laughs> there again, but at the same time, like it was a great game, dude. Like it was, it was probably one of the most interesting matches I've ever played and you know, it sometimes you get beaten and it's okay. It's a reality check. And, all you can do is just uh, focus on the next you know, tournament. So
2: really yeah, well yeah. played,
1: Jimmy. Thank you for the game. It was awesome. No, likewise. Yeah, great game.
2: And hey, there's, there's Nova in a month, man. So <laughs> yeah. got another shot. That's true. Yeah.
0: And really, I think those games that you lose are the ones that you learn the most from. I mean, kind of like Jimmy was saying, where he was sort of fortunate to be able to play Profiteers, you know, just a couple games before, um, and that you know was what one of the things he needed to help him win um you know maybe if we see reavers again and i'm i'm afraid that we might see a lot more i sure hope not but i'm afraid i it. sure i sure
2: hope so <laughs> <laughs> maybe Dr- I'll be a little train, bit better Nova, baby uh-oh come um, on board everybody one and all
1: yeah just everybody bring more abundance <laughs> <laughs> blood blood, god baby yeah, yeah. um no, it was good. And to your point, Jonathan, uh, you're right. You know, you learn the most from there. And one thing I learned from that is that, you know, if you're unable to control your engagement, it can be a really big detriment to you. That's that's exactly what happened. And so um, there was a weakness, and uh, Jimmy hit it right on the head, if you will. So uh, yeah, well played all around. Cool. Well, the
0: next thing I want to talk about is what are your guys' thoughts on? We, we mentioned it briefly, but I guess the format in general, um, how that cut worked, um, pairings, two-day format, any of that. You have any any other thoughts on that? One of the things that um, we know they're going to change in the future is the pairings are going to go from, uh, I guess what is technically the Dutch format, where you it's the best versus the lowest uh, winner paired against each other. They're, it's going to be random pairings. It looks like going forward, uh, at least starting Just- in October.
1: Yeah, does that start in Beastgrave or does that start in? Is that start with Nova?
0: I believe that's in Beastgrave, although I'm not sure. I guess we should find out for Nova. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great improvement. Um, I agree. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, because a lot of the time it seems like, especially in the second and third round, sometimes those games aren't maybe as challenging as you might want. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's I think it's really due. To that way that it's formulated like that and the the goal of the dutch format is so that the two best players um face each other in the end and i think it does work um but i'm pretty excited to have them change it to random um just one less thing to kind of point at as a flaw so uh,
1: yeah i think so i mean I, i i like the idea of it i mean you know, there's this. There's two concepts that you know you can talk about. Is hope you get a really like, I guess, a an easy game first round and blow out your opponent, um, or you know, intentionally lose the first game by just like a a, a hair's length, or if you will, so you can mm-hmm. coast to the the top, right, and make day two. So there's there's ways that it can be manipulated. Again, it's it's kind of rare that the latter can happen consistently, but um, you know, like, I I really think it's great, and if that means earlier players get to play each other earlier, I mean, sorry, better players get to play each other earlier, I mean, then that's okay, because, again, there is a cut, right? So, even if you lose to, Mm -hmm. you know, whomever, you can still make it. You just got to win those next two games. Um, So, I I like it, personally, and um, I think it'll be a good test of skill, regardless of what round it is, because sometimes, again, like, To be fair, going into Orcs the second time around, I was just like, "This is a a gift," and uh, (laughs) you know, I shouldn't take it for granted. So that hopefully that can be avoided because those games don't help me as a player. I don't think they help my opponent as a player. Um, And because I'm trying to just, you know, get as much glory as I can, uh, it's it's not a nice way to play either because you're just punishing your opponent over and over again just so that you can get a higher ranking. And then it's just not conducive, I think, to anyone really.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of noticeable change um, once that change goes into effect. Yeah. Um, and then like uh, you mentioned the cut, and that's something that I find pretty interesting. Um, it, on, on the one hand, I love that they go to a second day um, so we can have a true winner, and I think it's interesting that the cut allows people with losses to make it to the second day. Um, I. I do sort of have a couple issues with the way the tiebreakers decide the final order, especially for the people with losses. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I feel like the cuts are too large. The previous one in the UK, I think, had top 16 and ended up being about 19% of the field. Um, And I think it included everyone with one loss and one or two people with two losses. Um, And I wonder if maybe they should tighten that up a little bit. And then in this situation, six was kind of a strange number. I feel like maybe eight or four would have been better. But
1: well, I think the intention there was that you know Sean Pittman, who was from Cincinnati Arsenal Gaming, who TO'd the event. a uh, Wonderful yeah. group of people, I might add. A lot of people wanted the day too. I mean, like people built their decks for a two-day event, and I know that might sound funky, but like you know, you you might get rid of. Uh, you might make some certain decisions to, like, you know what, I can drop a game, it's fine, because I'll make it to day two.
2: Yeah, and, that is a
0: really cool thing to be able to do.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and so we were like, oh, there's 26 people, what do you guys want to do? So he asked a couple people, and, I mean, obviously I was in favor of day two. Um, I, I really wanted to actually plan a two-day event. I thought it would be really interesting, and a lot of people had paid a lot of money for their ticket, their flight, and their their bookings, like their their hotels, and airbnbs to just come play in a two-day event i'm sure amongst other things as well but like it's part of the reason we're here we signed up on the impression that there would be a two-day event and and that was the reasoning that was thrown around and then he uh, i know that sean looked at the grand clash packet and uh you know usually if there's 64 players you cut to a top 16 which means it's a fourth of the the people there right as you mentioned roughly like 20 percent maybe Mm -hmm. um so maybe a little, little uh, less than the fourth, and so that's what he did. Said, okay, well that means six people. Is everyone cool with that? And and no one said no, so we went with sure.
0: Him. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they should have done anything different at this particular event. Um, I just wonder if you know maybe a cut to the top four and then just have two rounds the next day, or um, maybe a. What did you guys think about six and letting the top two have a buy the first round? Did you guys
1: like that? I mean, I did.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I didn't, uh, I didn't mind at all. I think that that rewards, uh, you know, the top two players, right? Which is great because they they earned it because they got the top two. I think they got to, you know, do a little scouting ahead of, uh, of their potential matchups and walking around seeing how games are going or, or or sleep in, you know, either of the two. So, uh, uh, no, I, I like that. I think, um, and, you know, I, I just to Amon's point, they definitely supported the idea of a day two. You know, myself and Amon had traveled like good ways to get over there, you know, hotels, plane tickets, all that stuff. So, um, buying the, you know, the, the, the two day pass or a four day pass for Gen Con. So uh, I think it was, it was good for them to, um, uh, keep the second day. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I was certainly biased because I, you know, I knew at that point after losing the ball <laughs> that I needed to make, somehow make the second day, which, you know, goes into, you know, one, uh, you know, little thing I was thinking about, I think, um, um, and Jonathan, you kind of men- mentioned it to me, either for Discord or somewhere else. But, you know, I had um, I'd gone, I'd won my first three matchups and lost a number one ranked guy. But because of Glory Diff, I was ranked below several people that had, you know, lost their first or second matchup. And just through Glory Differential, going through like the lower end of the bracket ended up like superseding me so mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't have like a really defined feeling on how to address that if it should be addressed it is um you know i would like to see anyone in a position where you know they were at that you know final final four final table final eight whatever at the end of the day to somehow be rewarded then you know as opposed to someone and and who you know may maybe dropped like an early game and had different you know different uh yeah, I don't want to be, be mean, I guess, but different skill level of opponents for the next couple of games. So I don't know. I don't know how to really correctly deal with that or if there is a way to do it. Um, but just just a thought that I was thinking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, obviously nothing against any of these players. Obviously, of course not. None. Yeah. Course. No, I mean, and once, once you know what the format for an event is, it makes total sense to Play for that format as much as possible. So agreed. At this point, really, I'm just sort of talking in theoreticals. Um, whenever, because because I do a lot of these event tracking and I'm trying to you know calculate win rates for different warbands and things. I've noticed sort of a trend that um, once you get past the undefeated players, um, it's very typical for um, the people with losses. In general, it seems like people with losses earlier in the rounds place higher than people with losses later in the rounds. Um, Like Jimmy was saying, uh, he lost his fourth match, and there were three players that placed higher than him that lost their first match. Yeah. Um, And, you know, just the way that the pairings work, um, at least uh, hypothetically, the second, third, and fourth matches for somebody with a loss should be easier than the second, third, and fourth matches for somebody with a with no losses. Um, and, of course, there can always be variation to that, but it seems like, in general, that would be the, the correct thing. So it would be interesting to see if they could do some kind of tertiary tiebreaker, or maybe the when you lost matters. I, I actually think games lost is a really good second tiebreaker because, you know, even if it was in the first round, if you had a really tight game, if that was the only game that you, the only two games you dropped was in the first round and you went perfect the rest, then that probably is worth uh, something. You know, if somebody else lost a game in every match they played, um, you know, and then lost the fourth round, like the, I could see that at, at some point that becomes worth more, but I do think that it maybe it's worth considering adding some kind of a, maybe like a multiplier, you know, every time you win, you get sort of points towards a tertiary tiebreaker I personally don't feel like glory is a very good tiebreaker, mainly because depending on matchups glory can be can mean a lot or mean a little. There are some matchups where you usually only win by a couple glory and there's really some war bands where you your plan is to win by a couple glory. I feel like far striders come to mind. I feel like, you know, when I play them, I I feel like I win a good amount but it's usually only by a couple glory because I'm outplaying my opponent and I'm, you know, trying to do that kind of stuff. So I don't know, just, a, just sort of, a, I, I like the current system, and I feel like it's 95% perfect, you know, but I, I always like to look at the 5% and wonder what we can do to make it better. So
2: just some thoughts there, really. Yeah, no, all, all good thoughts, I agree, yeah. It's it's already yeah. a very good system, So and uh, I'm happy they are continuing to kind of make tweaks to it to improve it, which is a, a great sign, and, uh, and, and bodes well for future Grand Clashes going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah I, the, I completely agree. I think the biggest thing is that when it comes to the glory, that you mentioned, Jonathan, it's really hard to get around that because it's just the fundamental way the game is played, right? So um, you, yeah. whoever scores more glory wins and I guess there's no easy way to differentiate between like, oh, my matchup was harder so I can get this like sort of multiplier if that makes sense. So I think, especially when it comes to competitive play, like you should plan to win big or you should plan to like, you know, at least play meta so you can right. win big or in, in Jimmy's case, like find an anti-meta deck if that makes sense.
0: So. <laughs> sure. And and the cool thing about the the current system is that if you do only win, you know if you are undefeated, then you are pretty much guaranteed to make it. So yep. I, I, I absolutely like that. And then there are some ways around this issue. Um, one of the ways around it is just always cutting high enough that you include all of all of that group. So. In this example, if they had done top eight, it wouldn't have mattered. They would have got all the three and ones, um, and it ended up actually being a cut to the top eight because two people had to drop. So
1: exactly, it was, yeah, it was that's a good way to look at it. That,
0: but yeah, good I, point. I know that I would have personally been disappointed if I only lost in the final round, and you know, then other people placed higher than me due to what I think a lot of people think isn't a great tiebreaker. Just my thoughts on that.
1: But. Yeah. Oh, valid points all around. But uh, you know that that's a tough conversation, and honestly, it could be a whole episode in itself, right? Uh, just the way competitive yeah, events so. are tiered up. But uh, I definitely agree with a lot of your thoughts there. It's just it's a really complicated yet simple idea, and you know the nuances there can can be tricky to navigate around. But I do find it really interesting that you know Jimmy, you went three and zero, made it to like top four of the of the round, and then you know because of a bad loss. You just got, you know, dropped down. And I think that's the benefit of the top 16 is that, y- you know, you can do that right. and still win a Grand Clash, which you did. But like, yeah. it, 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 if the people hadn't dropped, it would have kind of, you would have been like, you know, S S O S O L, if that makes
2: sense. Yeah. No. Agreed. Thank God they dropped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Shout, out, shout out to Paul. Shout out to Cat. Thank you very much.
1: I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, 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 you got to break a piece of the trophy. I'll yeah, chop them. my
2: trophy up into three different pieces.
1: <laughs> Speaking of trophies, um, I guess you've been a little coy about it, but congratulations for winning Best Painted as well. You had a beautifully painted uh, Reavers mm-hmm. Warband.
2: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. your stuff was painted well too man it really was
1: it wasn't by me though so you know <laughs> well, i really like your display board though that that was sick
2: thanks yeah appreciate it
1: well i think that's all the time we have for this episode jimmy did you have any final thoughts or comments
2: no no i just um it was a great event uh you know thanks again to all my you know opponents who were who are outstanding and had a great time uh thanks to you you know Mon for a great final round you know thanks to both you guys for having me on
1: yeah it was a lot of fun Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for joining even on such short notice. I remember like right after I was like, do you want to be on our our podcast? (laughs) So glad we could have you on and and definitely appreciate your insight. And I think a lot of people are really keen to to see how you you navigated through the the gauntlet, if you will. So congratulations again. Very well played. And uh, thank you so much for being on our episode. Uh, We really
2: appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to meeting you at Nova.
2: <laughs> yeah, same for sure.
1: Nova's gonna be sick, by the way. There's gonna like everyone uh-huh. I know who's heavily invested in this game or, or our top player is gonna be there, which is very exciting. So Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's if you will, it's like the US grand finals, you know, so let's uh let's put on a good show if you will. Jimmy, I guess you can be honorary path to glory if you want. And you can rep the <laughs> rep the squad since you've been on a podcast. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, that's it for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, let us know on Facebook on Path to Glory podcast. You can also follow us on Podbean as well as iTunes and Spotify. You can also find the show notes there on Podbean as well in the notes. Thank you so much for listening and we wish you the best of luck on your
2: Paths to Glory. Nice.